Hello, this is Paul, adding a little note at the beginning. It's been a long time since we recorded this episode, and a long time since you heard our voices in your feeds at all. Part of the reason for the long delay is we wanted to make sure that once we started, we would get through Season 3 without breaks, and now we are finally ready to. We are back with Season 3 of Call the Midwife, Season 3 of Poplar Opinion, You can expect that this season will show up in your feed week by week without any pauses or delays. If you have stuck with us during our long unexpected hiatus, thank you very much. If you're discovering us now, welcome. There's two previous seasons you could go back and listen to. I think that's enough preamble from me. On with the show. Midwife Calling Welcome to Poplar Opinion, the Call the Midwife podcast. A Call the Midwife podcast. I know, I think it's the Call the Midwife podcast. It might be the. <laughs> where we recap every episode of Call the Midwife, one by one, without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we're talking about the first real episode... <laughs> In season three, we talked about the Christmas episode mm-hmm. or the Christmas special that is associated with season three yeah. that came in between the seasons, really. But this is the premiere of season three of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Thea Sherrick and written by Heidi Thomas. Heidi Thomas, of course, is the showrunner. She has written m- m- more episodes than anyone else uh, and many episodes of Call the Midwife, and she's going to continue to write many episodes. This is Thea Sherrick's second episode of two. She also directed the Christmas episode that we just talked about Ooh. last time. Cool. Um, Before I get into the recap, let's just talk for a second about the new digs that they're in now. <laughs> this is season three. The building's been condemned. They're moving into a new... Nanata's house, a re- new renamed Nanata's house, uh, and a new clinic. Mm-hmm. And since, of course, in real time, we've had nine seasons, the first two seasons are the weird ones with this different clinic, and this is the, the, this is the Nanata's house, this is the clinic that we really know. And so it was neat, uh, since this is not our first time watching this, to be like, oh, this is the normal set, this is the... You know? Yeah, this is going to be like, I mean, we say no spoilers, but uh, I don't think this is plotty. Yeah. We're going to be in this set for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And And we're in this set longer than we were in the first set. And now I didn't look this up, but I'm assuming that this is, because it's the third season, the show is getting established. It obviously had increased in popularity. I think this new set is for story reasons, but also... It's bigger, it's more room, this show is getting money, Yeah, <laughs> the show is being invested in, and so you go from this like very tiny little place in Nanata's house where they have to be nurses to the much bigger space where they're getting their instruments ready and all that stuff, and that's, yeah, you know, and, and both... I feel like for a set, they've built this as a place that they can eat more easily film. 
both sets are bigger than mm-hmm. the last season. The Nanata's house set uh, feels familiar, but it's the clinic that watching this episode that I was like, oh yeah, this is the clinic yeah. that I know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, so let's get into the actual episode. Okay. I just wanted a sec to talk about the, the sets. So... Jenny delivers a baby in the morning as mature Jenny narrates about the dawn and fresh new beginnings. The nuns and midwives move into their new home, Sister Monica Joan waxing poetic about the smell. (laughs) Jenny delivers Joan's baby and then meets Merle, a new mom who is struggling with her newborn's fussiness. Chummy tries to bake a fancy meal, but burns it, narrating her disappointment to young Freddy. Jenny moves into a room with Trixie, and they all begin to settle amid various troubles, including an unconnected telephone and urinals in the washroom. (laughs) A new nun, Sister Winifred, arrives to lunch with everyone. Sheila helps Dr. Turner set up his new office, but declines to work there in the future. Sister Winifred comes with Jenny on call, experiencing the world of poplar tenements for the first time. They see Merle, who is struggling with her baby, not get, not gaining weight, and with all the nappies. Dr. Turner announces to the nuns that they now have a new clinic space and a chance to increase their scope. Sister Evangelina has her negative perspective, as usual. <laughs> um, so moving in, I mean, the opening narration about I, I've seen many dawns, she says, mm-hmm. each day... The world made new. And this is like a recurring theme for the whole series, but it's also the start of a new season. Or in British, this is a recurring yeah. theme for the whole show, but the start of a new series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're in a new place. It's for the show a new start, for the characters a new start, and every birth is a new start. And so this episode is all about new beginnings and fresh beginnings and both Mm -hmm. new beginnings as in like starting something brand new and also like wiping the slate and a fresh start. Yeah. You see both of those things coming up all through the episode. Absolutely. And it starts especially with the new Nanata's house, which we just talked about the set of Mm -hmm. it. But um, as they're moving into the new Nanata's house, Sister Monica Joan quotes... She, she says, let the bright seraphims in burning row their loud uplifted angel trumpets blow. She is quoting from Handel, from the opera Samson by mm. George Frederick Handel, libretto by Newberg Hamilton. Um, I, so the, what she actually says is an aria, the entire text of the aria, mm. she quotes, it's, it's repeated lots in the actual opera. What she says is, let the bright seraphims in burning row their loud uplifted angel trumpets blow. Let the cherubic host in tuneful choirs touch their immortal harps with golden wires. Hmm. I don't entirely get what it has to do with anything. She's not happy with the new building. No. So maybe the like the only connection I can think of is she's quoting from Samson, the opera Samson. Samson tears a building down. Hmm. Yeah, I can kind of see that. And the Samson, I don't know the opera well, but it's based on the poem uh, 
the dramatic poem uh, Samson Agonistes by Milton, mm. not based on the the Bible. Mm-hmm. Milton's based on the Bible, but the opera is based on the poem. So yeah. it's a moment in Samson. The the poem takes place after Samson has been captured and when he's like filled with doubt and just mm. before he tears the building down. Yeah. So I assume that's what the opera is also about. Hmm. So she's moving into this new building and she quotes like, let the angels play trumpets and also tear this building that I don't <laughs> like down. That's what I see as a possible subtext. Yes. Yeah. She does not like change. No, she does not. She's and... also, let's keep talking about uh, Sister Monica Joan. Mm-hmm. Because as you alluded to, she does not like the urinals. No. <laughs> Their purpose is very... I can't remember exactly what they said. She says, I suspect their purpose is a dark one. Yeah, exactly. Um, it always makes me laugh how in British they call it urinals. When it's so urinals is what we call it here. It's yeah. funny, different pronunciations. But like, yeah, the idea that she's never seen urinals before of course because she's only lived in a nunnery where there's only women and like you'd never go into a men's washroom and so yeah totally. you would never see such a thing <laughs> she doesn't know like, what they are and she perceives that their yeah, purpose is a dark, dark one. one they may be the cause of the vapors she heard earlier yeah exactly and we also in this section about sister monica joan her she's you know uh, upset by the change and trying to find purpose for herself and the purpose that she finds in this section and it's going to continue through the whole episode is arranging her books yes she says her books have been in boxes too long and if they're kept in their boxes the contents will jumble and become deranged yeah i absolutely love that uh <laughs> idea for if books are kept in in boxes all the contents will jumble between the books i i would love to see like to see some kind of fantasy story where that happens yes i agree the i don't remember when exactly she says it but she says the dewey decimal system is altogether too earthbound which That's cracked a little me later, up a yeah. lot that just like yeah made me laugh so much as someone who works with the dewey decimal system on a daily basis it just yeah made me laugh um, so in this section, we're introduced to kind of the the non-nun midwife plot, which is Merle mm-hmm. with her two sons, and they're going to be throughout the whole episode. Mm-hmm. And so the woman who gives birth at the very beginning doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. This is just like, you know, one of the people in the neighborhood yeah. who is in the same building as the main woman of the episode. Joan, who has yeah. a boy, is that all goes well and we move on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but Merle is not managing. No. Um, every time we see her, she's like... She's worse and worse every time. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting to, uh, just connected to Merle, who goes and sees her as Jenny and this new nun, Sister Winifred. Uh, and it's fun to see Jenny as, you know, she's old hat. She knows everything about Poplar introducing it to this new character and this new character being like oh the smell is something wrong with it nope just used you know she's the and she has the one thing maybe about joan and her boy is joan is nervous and her mother says listen to the midwife she's done this a hundred times and it's like starting the season with the first season jenny was so such this fish out of water for the whole season yeah 
And the second she like now she's comfortable, but also like yeah. getting comfortable. And this season it, we really establish in the first episode like she has done this a hundred times. She's not just comfortable. She's mm-hmm. not just part of this community. She's now like the voice of experience in this community. Yeah, and even eating the iced bun is like the woman in labor doesn't want the iced bun, so she so the mom offers it to Jenny, and Jenny's like. Yeah, I'll take that. And I feel like Jenny of the first season wouldn't have done that. She would have been thrown off by that. Yeah. But she knows now to take, first of all, to take hospitality. Yeah. Because people in poverty offering hospitality is is more of a big deal. And to like take food when you can get it. You don't know how long it's going to be or how, you know, if something else is going to happen. If you can get a bite of an iced bun now, do it. You mentioned Sister Winifred. Yes. Do you have thoughts about her? I'm excited to see her. I mean, of course, because, you know, we've watched the show before. It's a character we we know. But it's... Uh, I like a new character being introduced. She kind of replaces Jane, who is just gone, with no mention of her. I'm yeah. disappointed in the show for that. She was gone in the Christmas special. And, you know, you kind of notice. But then by the start of the season now there's no jane jane is gone maybe she's gone off to marry reverend what's appleby, it? Thornton. appleby thornton but i mean it was nice we saw jane come into her own but it would have been nice for at least a line or something to say what happened to her yeah. she just vanished she has vanished but we get Win- sister but we winifred. get sister winifred she's also kind of feels like a replacement sister bernadette for sister bernadette like not a replacement yeah. in the cast but a replacement in the convent. In that world, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> like they have lose a, a nun, nun and they gain a nun. They get a new nun. I really like, uh, as you said, Sister Winifred, as now the person learning about this place. She has experience mm-hmm. as a midwife. Mm-hmm. Like she's not brand new, but she has no experience in Poplar. Yeah. And then I also, I just really love Sister Winifred immediately. I love mm-hmm. her enormous smile that is almost always there. Yeah, exactly. She just has this huge smile that's very endearing. Yeah, she's, uh, I like that she's a totally different personality than what we've seen before. This is someone who's coming in with like fresh face and happy, but not daunted by, yeah. you know, she's not like Jenny when she first got there where she was made to feel anxious she already has i mean she already has the fact that she's a nun kind of under her belt so she's she knows what she's getting into in a way but also she has this kind of fresh new enthusiasm that they really need especially with the loss of sister bernadette to have a new face there to bring some joy to those to the nuns and again, with the theme of dawn and new beginnings. Yeah. Like she's new there, and she's making things new there. Mm-hmm. Both in world and out of world. Like, yeah. for the show and for the characters. Speaking of new beginnings, what do you think of what's up with Chummy yeah, so, so far? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is the, the third thing we have here is Chummy, who is, uh, I mean, love her so much. She's struggling with... Being the wife and mother, yeah. being this, like, you know, it's the 50s, so she's gotten married, she has a baby, there's no career there, she has to do the wife and mother thing, and she doesn't know exactly how to yet. Yeah, and we see, like, Peter says 
you do too much mm-hmm. and then she she takes on too much and then can't do it yeah exactly and we see we can see in this first little section what's gonna be kind of her plot through the whole episode is yeah. that she feels useless or not useless but she feels like uh too big mm-hmm. <laughs> as she always has felt too big for the space that she's in and so she tries to do big things yeah um she makes making the pie uh and talking to young young sir yes talking to fred uh she says she burns the pie filling she says one titter from you young sir and i'll take you to the mirror and show you what a naughty monkey looks like (laughs) and i had to like pause to laugh i laughed i was laughing so hard (laughs) take you to the mirror and show you what a naughty monkey looks like (laughs) yep that's really really funny it is really funny and then she because she burns all the she was supposed to be bringing food for the nuns because she burned the pies she brings fish and chips chips instead instead. did you catch she brings she says uh, uh haddock place or savloy the savloy was unintentional. That's the sausage. Yeah. Do you know what savloy is? No. Yeah, I didn't before. But it's uh, basically a hot dog. Like, it's a yeah. bright red, highly seasoned sausage that comes with fish and chips in the UK. I didn't know that that would come with fish and chips. I thought it was literally just an accident. It's a, like, it comes, you buy it at fish and chip places. Hmm. But it's like, I bought you fish and chips and a hot dog. Yeah. The savloy was not intentional. <laughs> I lo- then that's also Sister Winifred being like, "I'll take whatever anyone else doesn't want," and that's you know ingratiating herself into the into the group. <laughs> she does not want the savloy either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when she gets it, she's like, eh. "Yeah." <laughs> Um, this is a new clinic for Dr. Turner as well. So he's getting set up in his new, uh, it's like the maternity home and his like doctor clinic there. Yeah. So that's also a new set. A new set, a new beginning, a new dawn, Mm. a new, we've kind of barely, well, we didn't really, I was going to say we barely saw it in the Christmas episode, but actually we didn't at all. This is like, this is uh, their marriage, their marriage beginning. Yeah. So again, a new dawn Mm -hmm. of, of. Sheila as Sheila like chummy as a wife and mother yeah and Sheila wanting that stay at home that taking care of Timothy yeah situation she's like Dr. Turner's like you know you could stay and help with the clinic and she's no I'm gonna stay home with Timothy that's you know partly why we got married is that you need help from a woman at home you know we'll see if that changes but that's I feel like she's not feeling the way Chummy is. She's no. not feeling too big for her space. She's feeling like this is where she's meant to be. Yeah. Which is really nice to see. It's nice to see her where she feels like she's meant to be. We saw, again, in the Christmas episode, even though they were engaged, she looks... She hasn't lost kind of the sadness in her eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this episode, I don't see any sadness yeah. in her eyes. <laughs> exactly. So moving on, Chummy prepares Peter's lunch, including carved radishes, and spends the evening sewing cushions. The new community center is large and better than the old space. Jenny visits Merle to find both her sons are dealing with chest infections 
and her husband tells about his brother dying in childhood. Sister Monica Joan continues to deal with her books, and Sister Winifred finds that she's torn pages from the Bible. When Sister Evangelina goes to see her, they discuss her books and eventually come to an understanding. Chummy organizes a leaflet campaign to help people find the community center, and Dr. Turner goes to see Merle and her husband. Merle is upset that if nothing is wrong with the children, they think sh they'll think she's a bad mother. Every test they run just comes back negative. So where do you want to start? Do you want to, okay, first of all, Peter throwing out the radishes <laughs> for shame. Shame <laughs> on you. What I don't understand is why you just pop them in his mouth. Yeah. Just Maybe, eat them. <laughs> he actually doesn't like radishes. He's, That's Did possible. you cut them in fancy shapes? I got teased last time. Yeah. I don't think for shame. I think <laughs> no, I... The Peter... Yeah. I'm very lightheartedly for shame. <laughs> Throwing them out. <laughs> Throwing them out. Chummy is bored. Yeah. And my note is like, you're better than this, Chummy. Exactly. It's like, she's better than what is being demanded of her right now. Mm -hmm. Or she wants to do and be more than what is demanded of her right now. That's exactly it. And then when she tries to make what's demanded of her right now into something that she can rise to, it's not where her talents lie and it's mm -hmm. not where her... It's not what's appropriate. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the carved radishes are symbolic of like, yeah, you can carve the radishes. They're still just radishes and they're not what is actually asked of you mm -hmm. and so it's not making things better for either you or peter yeah exactly it's sad to see mm -hmm. at this moment um, uh sister winifred finds these torn pages of the bible they're the apocrypha so it's like yeah. Okay, if for some reason it's okay well, that she's torn the Apocrypha out because it's not the real Bible. I'm sister, putting quotation marks. I mean, I'll maybe say for uh, not everyone watching and listening may know yeah, what, uh, the Apocrypha what is. that even means. Mm -hmm. So the, the uh, theology of the Bible is different for different traditions, um, but in brief... There are some books of the Bible which are accepted in some traditions and not in others. And there are some that are not really accepted in any. And so the Apocrypha are books which aren't considered by Anglicans to be divinely inspired work, word of God. But they're included in some Bibles because other traditions, particularly Catholics, do consider them to be divinely inspired. Mm -hmm. And so when... Uh, like it's a big deal to tear books out of to pair pages out of the Bible. That would be heretical. Mm -hmm. uh, when Sister Evangelina brings them to Sister Monica Jones, Sister Monica Jones says it cannot be heretical to excise sections of the Apocrypha, for the Apocrypha itself is heretical. Yeah, and that's she's right in terms of like the official doctrine of the Anglican Church at. Now and also at the point that the yeah. show is set. That the Apocrypha is often taken in the Anglican tradition to be like still worthwhile reading but not the inspired word of God. Mm -hmm. And in more mainline Protestant traditions it's considered to be like don't read it, it's bad. Yeah. And in Catholic traditions it's taken to be the inspired word of God. Mm -hmm. So just to understand, to understand what is going on. She's torn yeah. out the parts of the 
Bible that the Anglican doctrine doesn't officially recognize as the word of God. Yeah. But she's still tearing pages out of books, and that's, like, not okay. (laughs) It's weird. It's weird. And then this scene, can we just, like, this whole scene, I think, is beautiful and moving. It is. It absolutely is. Because, like... Sister Evangelina is worried about Sister Monica Jones as mm-hmm. she should be and has reason to be and there's precedent, right? Yeah. And so she goes up and she has like urine test now. She thinks that she has uh, infection. infection that is affecting her mind because to be tearing pages out of the Bible is irrational. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen her before, Sister Monica Jones is really hurt. By that assumption, which is very hard because sometimes that assumption is right and sometimes it's not. Mm-hmm. And in this instant, she's like so hurt by it. She says, uh, she says, you remind me, you, uh, when Sister Monica Jones says you're... <laughs> Infection is is affecting your mind, sister. Or when sister Evangelina says the infection is affecting your mind, sister Monica Jones says, you remind me of Mr. Plato. Of Plato. You are no better than Plato who thought that the womb could wander through the mind, through through the body, body, uh, corrupting the mind of the woman. Uh, I have put Plato next to Mr. Freud so they can have, be companions in their ignorance. Yes, I love that. I love it so much. Another moment that I had to, like, pause (laughs) for a breath. (laughs) It was so funny. Um, I love how her organization system for her books is, like, by how I feel about them and how they'll interact with each other. (laughs) Yeah. And this, like, there is, it's, it's, like, heartbreaking because there's both, they both have a point, right? Mm-hmm. That, like the infection, an infection does affect the mind, and all the body is connected. And Sister Evan, it's also so in their character. Sister Evangelina is so practical yep. and uh, down to earth, and she's like, "If there's something wrong with your mind, it's because there's something wrong with your brain. It's because mm-hmm. there's something wrong with the chemicals that are in your body." And Sister Monica Jones says, "Like, my soul." is more than just my parts. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what's behind the, like, you're like Plato thinking that a womb wandering around my body makes me unbalanced. I'm not a collection of parts. I'm a soul mm-hmm. with knowledge and desires, and they're more important than your conclusion, your assumptions and conclusions about my body. Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of right. Yeah, it's interesting. Sister Evangelina is like, I didn't much go for books. Yeah, and this is like the the lower class upbringing of Sister Evangelina versus the high class upbringing of Sister Monica Joan, and just like they always are clashing, and one is the very practical, and one is the very spiritual, airy fairy. <laughs> Sister Monica Jones says, like, books have been my friends. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. And she says, I I don't deny that my memory is sometimes in need of... And she pauses just long enough... Just just maybe long enough for it to be a joke instead of a moving moment (laughs) of refreshment. 
Mm-hmm. But once a thing is known, it can never be unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's an appeal to like, maybe my memory isn't reliable, but there's something more profound than that about my knowledge. Whether I can bring knowledge up when it's needed or not, I still have it. Yeah. Right? And Sister Evangelina agrees. Mm-hmm. Like, you're right. They come to an understanding, which is great. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's... You're right. You're, there is more to you than mm-hmm. your brain. So lastly, we have the Merle plot mm. that uh, we find out that they have had all these chest infections that... Uh, her husband tells her that uh, they, he had this brother that died during childhood. That, and Merle is wants to be proven right. That she wants something to be wrong with them because yeah. she feels like if there's nothing wrong with them, then I'm just a terrible mother, and I can't keep things clean, and I can't think. You know, and they and keep the in- reassuring her that that's not the case. But it is partly the case. Is when it, when all the tests come back negative, that's not a reassurance. No. I was literally just reading a thread on Twitter today about a, people with chronic illness who were kind of talking back and forth and saying how every time you get a diagnosis, every time you get a negative test result, it's like they present it like, oh, good, this was negative. And you're like... No, I don't want everything to be negative. Something is wrong with me and you need to find out what it is. Yeah. And that's exactly where Merle is right now. And we, I, a while ago was talking to, or not actually talking, reading the writing of (laughs) a friend who'd had like COVID-ish symptoms. Mm -hmm. And every time she went for tests, they were negative. And it was like exactly what you're saying, like... Oh, good. It was negative. I'm like, no, negative is bad. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Even if there isn't a cure, even if there isn't treatment, like being able to put a label on what's wrong is reassuring Mm -hmm. better than we have no idea. Yeah. And like what the two things that I see going on with Merle in this section, Merle especially, and what's her husband's name? Do you remember? I forgot to write it down. I didn't write it down either. But, uh, like, if there's a mix of two huge uh, stresses and anxieties, and one is if they can't find out what's wrong, they can't help. But then there's also a sense of self-worth that, like, mm-hmm. we'll just make sure that you're sterilizing the bottles because maybe they're gut infection, maybe they're chest infections, and their uh, uh, illness is caused by cross-contamination because you're washing nappies in the same sink that you're washing the bottles. And she's just like, if that's it, then it is my fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's not just, you'll think it's my fault. It's actually It's my actually fault. my fault. Mm-hmm. She's a, I think she's a little worried that you'll think it's my fault, but she's yeah. more worried that, like, not... And also, like, we've seen this, what if my baby's illness is my fault come up before on Call the Midwife. And it's a, such a common 
feeling. Yeah, what parent who has an ill child doesn't think that? Yeah. But then the, like... She's also so tired and so, like... It's not just, what if it's my fault because I'm doing badly? She's so clearly, even though she doesn't articulate this, like... I am doing everything I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. So if this isn't enough, there is no I'll try harder from me. Like, I am doing... She doesn't quite articulate this, but it's what you see in the performance and the writing, that, like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing everything I can, and I am worn out, and I have nothing more to give. And if that still isn't enough, I'm not going to be able to survive. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. so it's not, it's a mix of something's wrong and my babies need help. Yeah. And I'm like guilt and shame that it's my fault. And also like despair that mm-hmm. if it's my fault, I can't do better than this. Yeah. And when Dr. Turner sees that despair, he mentions postpartum depression to uh, to Jenny. And it's like mothers can develop depression up to a year after their baby is born. And I was surprised to hear that. So, you know, like in that, in the time frame that it's set in, that like they knew about postpartum mm-hmm. depression, that was a thing, but they just had no, there was so much shame around it that I, I believe she, like Merle does, like she is, there is something actually wrong with her kids, but this is also a form of postpartum depression. Yeah. And whether it's like... I mean, because of the world that we are living in right now, we've been mm-hmm. talking and thinking a lot about, like, there's uh, chronic depression that is, like, has to do with you and your body and your brain. And when things seem to be good, but you are still feel symptoms of depression, mm-hmm. there's also, like, circumstantial. Everything is really terrible and you feel really terrible and it is appropriate that you feel that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. That, like, postpartum depression, when your kid is sick and always unhappy and you don't get any sleep, like, is mm-hmm. that... And it's both her kids, too. Yeah. Is that it was the older kid and then she's had a second kid and it's the exact same. Is that from a clinical perspective, like postpartum depression or is it just like life is really crappy and you're really unhappy because yeah. of that <laughs> and is there a difference mm-hmm. is there a difference that matters between yeah. those two things i don't know i don't know if there is all right so chummy comes up with the idea to have a grand opening and makes up a flyer and several new societies to promote <laughs> it she has trouble drumming up support so she has an idea to invite princess margaret who agrees to attend the nurses help teach flower arranging, and they whip the girls' brigade into shape for the royal visit. Jenny talks about Merle's children to the other nuns and nurses, and Sister Monica Jones shares her theory, which is dismissed. Later, she brings a book to Sheila and Dr. Turner in the rain. The book does turn out to be helpful, despite its age. So first of all, Princess Margaret, we knew, we've already known Princess Margaret. It's Chummy's old friend. Yeah, Chummy (laughs) talked about Princess Margaret in her very first appearance. So her writing to Princess Margaret has some cachet because she's in that world. Yeah. So like a random poplar person probably wouldn't be, her letter probably wouldn't be put to the top of the pile. But Chummy has this name behind her 
and and it seems unlikely we don't it's it's a little unclear and by the end of the episode the way that they interact makes it still unclear that like of course chummy remembers princess margaret does princess margaret remember chummy probably probably not, not. i mean it's mostly just like they're both attended same parties and things yeah. like that and so they would be in each other's circles or know each other's families you know princess margaret by the way again in case anyone doesn't know who exactly is princess margaret oh she's queen elizabeth's younger sister yes princess <laughs> she is just born to like... yeah i mean like if you haven't if you don't know who princess margaret is just watch the crown because it's the best <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to actually say that yes that's but true like... that's true so yeah, she was. I love Chummy making up the like invitations and inventing a bunch of societies. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, it's also like again, she does so much, and mm-hmm. she's like, I'm going to invent six societies so that there are societies to have a meet your societies event. Yeah, and and like, and I know that the girls' brigade can do a little bit of fanfare and. And Cynthia's like, uh, no, they can't. Are you aware that they're terrible? (laughs) It's a lot like that, uh, um, Christmas pageant. Mm -hmm, Where the mayor of Poplar is coming. The mayor of Poplar is coming Mm -hmm. and she, like, wants to turn it into something that it isn't clear whether Poplar is capable of doing. Yeah, exactly. It's again, like, even... Even before Princess Margaret is coming, but she knows. I mean, it's partly we see it. I like it that it comes up again. That We see that Chummy has chosen to live in Poplar, has chosen to live in poverty, has mm-hmm. chosen to serve in poverty. She's not really serving, uh, and that's part of her issue. Uh, she's not really serving the community much at mm-hmm. the start of this episode. Yeah. But she's made all these choices with her eyes open. But she still has been to the same parties as Princess Margaret and knows what they're supposed to look like. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So she's got this, still has this foot in this other world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then the book, I tried a little bit to figure out what book. Oh, uh, I didn't. But I didn't. I only tried a we little bit. Done. But she, but Sister Monica Joan brings a book to Dr. Turner and Sheila's house, to the Turner household. Yeah. Because when they... Because they just dismiss, she talks about their, oh, there's a book from when Queen Anne was on the throne about these children will not live past four or five years. And when kissed, their skin tastes of the sea. And... To the rest of them, you know, this is just Sister Monica Joan being poetic again. This is the vapors from the urinals. This yeah. is not something to take seriously. But they they always forget that she has been a nurse. She's been yeah. a midwife for a long time before this. And once a thing is known, it can never be unknown. And mm-hmm. that's not just Sister Monica Joan. It is also the knowledge of doctors and nurses and healthcare people in the past yeah. even if they didn't understand what they were doing even if they didn't know what to do about it like they're still observing the world yeah that is the same world that they're all still living in yeah and there isn't there's like a balance to find mm-hmm. of you don't find a book of what queen anne what they did when queen anne was on the throne and follow it 
exactly what it says to do. Mm-hmm. But you also don't dismiss it too easily. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I'm glad you mentioned the vapors because there's a vapor in this house and it's it's subtle, right? Because there's a vapor in this house and it sounds very much like her vibrations and her very, like, uh, unhinged, really, mm-hmm. way of perceiving the world. But Fred says, it's the new paint. Mm. Yeah. Which seems from one perspective to be like, uh, she is not, Sister Monica Joan is not understanding and interpreting the world properly. And Fred is like decoding, okay, it's really, it's the paint. But from another perspective, paint fumes, that's literally our vapor. Mm-hmm. And she, there is a bad vapor that she is smelling. And yeah. she, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't, she isn't able to cure it. But she is recognizing and diagnosing mm-hmm. something that's happening and drawing attention to. And actually, heck, <laughs> I'm not, I, I doubt the show is aware, is thinking this much. But like, how uh, much do you want to bet that that paint is lead-based and it's actually bad for them? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, Good point, Paul. Good point. I guarantee the show wasn't thinking that deeply about it, but like mm-hmm. she's sensing bad vapors. Yeah. She's recognizing what is wrong with these kids. And she brings, she goes through the rain to bring this book to the Turners because she is still, and it's like, again, she, why she's such a fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Because from episode to episode, from moment to moment, like... Sometimes she knows things no one else does and is helping in ways that no one else can. And sometimes she's crazy and you have to, like, restrain her from hurting people. Mm -hmm. And her decision-making skills are poor. Yes. She goes out in the rain because she knows it's important, but she can't distinguish that she should maybe wait or use the telephone yeah. Is a thing, like, that wouldn't occur to her and, like, all that stuff. And I shouldn't say crazy, but I did yeah. on purpose of, like, sometimes what they perceive to be as unsafe for her and others is correct in their perception is what mm-hmm. I really meant. But you're right. But you gave me a look that was earned that I shouldn't say crazy. Mm-hmm. I love when Dr. Turner brings Stramonica Joan back to the Nanata's house. He's, like, giving instructions to tuck her up with, like, a hot water bottle because she's all cold and blah, blah. And she says... Hark him, sister. He is a physician and a man, and he expects to be listened to. (laughs) Beautiful. Love it. Love it. She's got so many great lines this episode. And, like, it is, she is 100% right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But and the turn she I mean but uh, if someone wants him to listen to them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. And he's a physician and a man, and he expects to be Listen listened to. to. <laughs> but also, it's again like she is completely right. But also, the advice that he is giving is good. Yeah, she exactly. Does need she to be does tucked in with to... a warm hot water bottle, and yeah. she shouldn't have been out in the rain. And she is bodily frail because she's old, mm-hmm. and it's raining and cold. And tuck her in and give her tea and get her warm. Like yeah, exactly. Do, do this thing. <laughs> yeah, precisely. so good. So moving on. Chummy excitedly gets ready for Princess Margaret's visit. Merle's baby stops breathing and she rushes him to Nanata's house. 
the midwives spring into action to help him, and Dr. Turner reveals that he knows what is wrong with him, thanks to Sister Monica Joan. It is cystic fibrosis. Princess Margaret, meanwhile, arrives and all goes well. Merle's boys go to the hospital, where they can be treated with proper care. On her way home, Chummy encounters Mrs. Torpy, who is in labor. The ambulance is blocked from arriving due to the royal visit, so Chummy brings her into her own house and delivers the baby, a difficult delivery. Later, she talks to Sister Julienne, who asks her to work part-time. Mature Jenny narrates about cystic fibrosis and the understanding of years of knowledge. Chummy dons her nurse's cap once again and answers the phone at Nanata's house. (laughs) So as we were saying at the end of the last thing, Sister Monica Jones' book doesn't have the answers for Dr. Turner. No. But it points him in a direction that gives him the answers. Exactly. I love the moment, by the way, when, like, Timothy's shoes... One of these is shinier than the other. Did you get distracted halfway through? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and Timothy just rolls his eyes. And it's like... I, I, I love that moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it is, like what makes Dr. Turner a good doctor and also what mean shows that Timothy needs someone else to take care of him. Mm-hmm. Right? Like... Yeah, exactly. I didn't mention in the recap, I can't remember exactly when it happens in the episode, but when Dr. Turner and Sheila are sitting in their living room, Sheila is embroidering a baby mm-hmm. dress with little X's for little kisses and, and Dr. Turner gets excited for a moment thinking maybe she's pregnant and she's like, no, not yet. But, you know, I'm making promises on this uh, dress. Yeah. On this, like, I think I uh, confirmation, uh, communion. I communion mean, dress, yeah. baptism. Baptism yes, dress yes. is what I'm looking for. What's the C word? Confirmation. No, no. To do with christening. Uh, christening. Christening. Christening dress. <laughs> <laughs> What's the C word, Jan? Okay. <laughs> Christening dress, I assume. Uh, and that's just kind of setting the stage for the future marriage of Sister Bernadette and. And it's again Dr. like Turner. this contrast with Chummy. Mm-hmm. That Chummy's really happy with uh, Fred, but also uh, Chummy was always, even at her most excited, like, is this going to be. Am I going to be a good mom? Am I going to be able to take care of this? Is this mm-hmm. going to be. And it's a contrast to sister, to Sheila, who's like, wants to be settling down and mm-hmm. making a tr- new life, new, new family. life, a new family. Like, mm-hmm. they just are in very similar places in their lives, uh, but feeling differently about them. Yeah. I, um, on a totally different note, love Merle rushing into Donata's house and all of those experienced nurses and midwives rushing together solving the problem talking to each other sister evangelina's like if she ran here it's been this amount amount of time get the suction get the like it's just beautiful to see them all working together and making sure this baby's okay i loved that sister evangelina's moment she ran here so and she ran as soon as he started the fit started so it's been four minutes yeah like yeah, it's just uh, I lo- like that happens multiple times in the show. Yeah, Mo- I think of the 
the woman from Jamaica who gives birth in like the Nanata's entrance way, and all the nurses are like she can you know get she gets the full deal because they're all there and the together and all this you know like it's I love them all working together. Yeah, and then so. Uh, Sister Monica Joan comes in and Dr. Turner says, it's okay. It's okay. You can come in. Yeah. She says, I won't do anything untoward. And Dr. Yeah. Turner's like, Choked I know. up. Yeah. I know. I know he won't. So a little bit about cystic fibrosis that I looked yeah. into a bit is um, the whole salty sweat is totally real. That is an actual way to know that kids have... Uh, cystic fibrosis is just a simple like they are salty mm-hmm. um i didn't actually see why exactly that is but it just has to do with their secretions um it was for a long time people this was a cause of childhood deaths if you had cystic fibrosis you didn't live you know first it was like past four years and then as they get older as they as they learned what it was, they would live till like 20 and stuff. So these days, your life expectancy for cystic fibrosis is 40 to 50 years. And so it's still young. You're still mm-hmm. not living a f- your complete, you know, human lifespan, standard human lifespan with cystic fibrosis. But that is a long life with a disease like that. It's a buildup of mu- chest mucus. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is causes breathing issues and multiple and immune immunity immune immune deficiency. Um, they can give bacteria to help with it. Uh, in most recently popularized in the movie Five Feet Apart, is you people with cystic fibrosis who meet other people with cystic fibrosis, they're Bacterias can counteract each other, and so they need to stay apart from each other, hmm. which is, I mean, really interesting. Kids, yeah, that's what I wonder: is that they have two kids, and maybe because they're brothers, it would no, be okay. Have the same. Yeah, I don't know exactly. I mean, like, obviously, I'm yeah. not an expert, but that uh, I found that really interesting. There's the moment in when they learn. Uh, what that their kids have cystic fibrosis they learn what was wrong Mm -hmm. it is as i kind of alluded to earlier it's like there isn't a cure yeah there is treatment that's difficult and daily and forever yeah uh but it's also like such a relief to know that it's something Mm -hmm. that it's not their imagination or bad parenting and then the like guilt shifts Mm-hmm. Uh, Merle feels better, and her husband, yeah, <laughs> whose name we don't know, uh, says it's genetic, and my brother died, mm-hmm. so it's my fault I gave it to them. It runs in families. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, it has to be genetic on both sides. We both gave it to them, but they're like, the moment that really uh, got me in that is when she says, you know, what runs in families is she says this and holds his hand but like what runs in families is love mm-hmm. and support and uh uh-huh. enzymes aren't like 
that happens. Mm-hmm. That's artificial. You or you can like they can artificially give them enzymes. Yeah, but you can't artificially give them the family that run what actually mm-hmm. runs in families. Yeah, I said bacteria before, but enzymes is the word I meant. Yeah, I just like had something in my eye at that mm-hmm. point. But... Um, the Princess Margaret visit really is kind of anticlimactic. Yeah. In the end. It's all really, for for us as the audience, what we really care about is Chummy. Yeah. And Chummy achieve with it. Yeah. Nothing, you know, nothing messes up while she's there. It's just a, you know, a royal visit. Everyone's happy. Everything is fine. Presumably everyone knows where the community center is now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was like, the real point. Chummy is completely successful. Um, I want to draw... And at the birth that she... This is what I'm going to say is I want to draw attention to the fact that when she's getting ready for to go to the Princess Margaret visit, she puts on this little hat and she's all dressed up and she looks in the mirror and she talks to Freddie about how she looks exactly like her mother. Yep. And then when she goes to deliver the baby with the Irish woman, Mrs. Torpy, uh, she's like, let's both take off our hats. Like, <laughs> it is time to take off our hats. <laughs> like, Mrs. Torpy, I think we should both remove our hats yeah <laughs> like oh yeah <laughs> and and chummy and the the uh, mrs torpy the irish woman are can't speak the same language chummy is doing her uh upper class crest speak and she's like just just be plain about it <laughs> looks like we have a bit of a wallflower here and like i can't do anything if you don't just say what you mean just say what you mean <laughs> um yeah, and she's like, you know, I hope you don't care about this couch because my waters haven't gone. Like, oh, just fetch us a tea towel. Like, and this mom, it's an older mom, this is her fourth, I think, kid, and so she's well established as, you know, she feels like she knows what she's doing, but also it turns out it's not. She can't. She's uh, it's a difficult birth in the end. Yeah. And Chummy, yeah. of course, does beautifully because this is something she's done many times. And Chummy also thinking of new beginnings. Like, remember how. When Chummy first appeared, she was kind of barely competent mm-hmm. with how we saw her. Yeah. How especially Sister Evangelina saw her, but how yeah. she was presented as like, she wasn't as good a midwife as the rest of them yet. Mm-hmm. And now like she's, this isn't a change, but just like to look back and she has grown into that long since and she's competent and confident and she knows how to handle things and she's calls for more midwives and by the time they come everything is solved yeah everything is over she manages the it's another it's kind of actually like i said the mare coming for christmas is like that was almost a kind of a fiasco yeah uh princess margaret coming she pulls it all off yeah and the like early season she like by barely manages uh uh breach birth breach birth with you know lots of stress and this is like mrs torpy's in pain but there's not a lot of stress she knows what she's doing and Mm. she does it yeah exactly and then so she gets hired back for two days a week with sister Mm -hmm. sister julianne uh hires her back and then she puts on a new hat and it's her nursing cap again and so this beautiful like three beat with the hat mm-hmm. is is so nicely contained in chummy she says to sister julianne i do too much and it's never enough yeah 
I'm going to drown like, them in my love, too, she says. I'm going to drown them. Yeah. It's not that like she... She needs somewhere... Some, And it's, again, also, like, she's physically and also metaphorically big. Yeah. And she needs space mm-hmm. to be big. And she is... Uh, she's a person who wants to serve. She's, mm-hmm. like, the moment we've met her, she just wants to get out there and serve. And so for her, being only able to serve her her husband and this baby is just not enough yeah she needs more people to serve and she and sister julianne also says i want to draw attention to this moment Mm. sister julianne says uh you can come back a couple of days a week if your husband is agreeable Mm -hmm. which you know because it's the 50s yeah exactly and she says peter's always agreeable he's not like other men yeah but i suppose i'm not like other women yep exactly exactly it I really love it. Mm-hmm. Anything else to say about this episode? No, I mean, this episode's about new beginnings and knowledge mm-hmm. and growth. Yeah. And, like, it's about how knowledge survives new beginnings. The world is made new every day, but once a thing is known, it's never not known. Yeah. And about, like, the difficulty but necessity of pulling the knowledge from the last day into the new day. So mm-hmm. even though there's new beginnings... It's not a clean break, is I think what's underneath mm-hmm. all of the stories. Yeah. Like the knowledge of the the Merle and her kids. Mm-hmm. We don't solve that puzzle without uh, her husband's brother. Mm-hmm. They're like, so they're a new family, but it's all the past also yeah. t- we've woven into the new beginnings. Mm-hmm. I really liked this episode. Me too. So speaking of knowledge, I went down two Wikipedia rabbit holes <laughs> while researching for this episode. So I just got to talk about them. One is uh, Trixie mentions about flower arranging. She's like, oh, I got lessons from Constance Spry. And so I went, who is Constance Spry? If I'm, you know, not British and maybe don't know this. She was a very famous florist. Uh, published, she published several books in the UK on flowers and popularized additions to bouquets. She was in the 20s to 40s. And bouquets were often just flowers. She popularized adding other things like pussy willows and greenery and baby's mm. breath and things like that. So like, okay, that is something that it's established. She also repopularized the rose, which wow. is the English rose. Wow. Being that brought That's back into fashion. So pretty big deal. She was a pretty big deal. So she taught Trixie. She's like, ooh, that's fancy. Yeah. Um and the second very boring Wikipedia <laughs> rabbit hole I went down is uh Chummy mentions that she go you're laughing because I talked about this for two days. Um, Chummy mentions going to the library to run off copies on the Ronio uh of the her flyer. So that is the a brand name for the mimeograph or mimograph. I can't remember how to pronounce it, which was the precursor to the photocopier. And I was like, how does that work? And so I ended up watching like YouTube videos of how a mimeograph works. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with Call of Midwife. But <laughs> mimeographs are really cool. And like they kind of were just stopping being used in the 80s when I was in school. And I know that people who are older than me remember like the smell and the blue ink and all that stuff. But anyone who's younger than us wouldn't know at all mm-hmm. what it's like pre photocopier. <laughs> so well, anyway, work. it was really cool. They, 
Don't be are, You have to type on a typewriter on a stencil. And so there's a negative on the back of whatever you've written. And then you run it through a roller that rolls it through ink and then onto other paper. Okay. And... So you can't you can't do infinite copies because your stencil will wear out in not very long. So you can maybe do about a hundred copies. Cool. Yeah. So that's so that's I, a fun little thing. It's like I want, went on a little adventure of what the difference is between Savloy and hot dog. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like it doesn't matter to this at all. But hey, it's fun to just go on adventure, especially for us being you know Canadian watching a show that takes place in the UK. There is, and we watch quite a few shows from from the UK, so a lot of these references sometimes will just wash over you like, well, I don't know that. And sometimes it's a reference that would wash over a lot of people because it's an old reference. And sometimes it's like, if I was British, I would know this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, I imagine mean... British people just know what Savloy is. Yeah. And might even know who Constance Spry is. Yeah. Who Constance Spry is. So but, what was your favorite part? So hard to choose. I feel like it was... I just... Sister Monica Joan is so great in this episode. And mm-hmm. I think I just gotta choose like the funny things of like... He is a physician and a man. <laughs> and that <laughs> is one of the top moments of this episode. But I think also just the new set... Introducing mm. the new uh, clinic and the new uh, uh, all the new places in Nana's house itself is really cool to see. I was very moved by love is what runs in families, not diseases, mm. and by Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina understanding each other. Yeah, but I'm gonna go for lighthearted also and <laughs> say my favorite part of the episode was. <laughs> I'll take you to the mirror and show you what a naughty monkey looks like. (laughs) I think you should definitely start saying that to our children. I just laughed so hard. (laughs) Oh, chummy. You're so great. All right. All right. So uh, what do I say now? This has been great. (laughs) If you want to talk with us about this episode, if I've messed up any of my stuff about cystic fibrosis and you know better than I do, please let me know because I only did a tiny amount of research and it was mostly Wikipedia, which is not the best source in the world. Um, But if you have anything to say about any episode of Call the Midwife and want to chat with us, you can find us on our Twitter account, which is Poplar Opinion. Uh, you can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. We're also on Facebook, sort of, but we hate Facebook. And <laughs> <laughs> But if you're there, we'll find, you'll, we'll see what you say. Yep, exactly. And, uh, recommend us to your friends. Anyone you know who likes Call the Midwife, spread the word that we're the Call the Midwife podcast, <laughs> apparently. And if you like this show, rate review and uh please consider supporting us on patreon.com slash clockworkscast to help fund and support this show we would be very grateful for that i've been paul moffat i've been jan moffat and that's just my popular opinion (laughs) 